What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect podcast show. My name is Paul Verzi, and today is, you know what, we're going to call it Easter Sunday. It's a little after midnight, but this is the Easter Sunday version, okay? I'm trying to get back to the uh, early part of the weekend, so uh, we're going to call it Easter Sunday and start that way. That's a good start to getting back to regularly scheduled uh, time to do this. I know the last couple have been late, so uh, slowly trying to get back to um, you know the right time, but I want you guys to have enough time to listen to each episode. So, even though it's a little after midnight, uh, this is the Easter Sunday version. Uh, 105, guys, 105 episodes. What can I say? Had a great day, and uh, it was just a nice Easter Sunday at home with my family. And uh, I had the night off, of course. I'm not going to perform on a, on a holiday like today. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed the NCAA tournament. Watching the basketball games. Eating some food. Hanging with family. Uh, a little bit of wine. Tried to eat not like a pig. Uh, it's hard not to late night like now. But a lot of cool stuff to talk about. So uh, sit back. Relax. If you're going back to work tomorrow and uh, you listen to this, I uh, hope I can make your day a little more pleasurable. And um, we're going to keep it going. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. As always, the Verzi Effect podcast show is sponsored by Butterfly Radio. Download. This is fucking unbelievable. My cat is in the litter box and he's moving the litter around as I'm talking right now. And it sounds like I have a fu- I have two cats. Okay, they're real brothers. Their names are Stanley and Thomas. And I swear to you, they're both close to twenty pounds. One of them is like over twenty pounds. Thomas is a fucking monster. When he walks in, it looks like I got like a miniature puma walking around my house. And I think it's him in the in the in his bathroom right now. And it just sounds like a fucking. It sounds like somebody's throwing rocks against the uh, against it. That's how big, it's ridiculous. It's like, I don't know what he's doing or how long it's going to take, but he's in there and he's just rocking the side of this litter box. And it's one of those litter boxes that have a cover. And it sounds like a person is trying to escape from a fucking cage. It's, it's incredible. I just, he's, he's got to end it. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Anyway. So. Butterfly Radio is the sponsor. Please download the free app on your iPhone today. It allows you to send audio messages to your favorite podcasts that are available on Butterfly Radio. And you could, like I said, download it completely for free on your iPhone. You can also register online at ButterflyRadio.com. Start your own podcast. Put up your own pictures. and Actually, you can start as many podcasts as you want on there. It's really cool. So it is basically a podcast lover's best friend. That is Butterfly Radio. And uh, we truly appreciate our sponsor. So, um, actually, I have a Butterfly Radio um, question that I'm going to respond to here on the podcast. But a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm going to talk about my Letterman audition which uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. One of the coolest things that I did in my career, I'm not going to lie. There's a couple of things that I've done in my comedy career that I think were, were pretty cool, things that I'm proud of, and I'm going to tell you that this Letterman audition is one of them. So we're going to definitely get into that, all right? We are going to talk about some NCAA. I saw a movie 
On Demand, which is a new release. I have to talk about it because it really was something I've been thinking about for a day and a half now. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do an Unacceptable. This is a uh, this is just a perfect perfect blueprint of the Verzi Effect podcast episode 105. So I hope that makes you smile, and I hope you're into uh, I hope you're into it. All right. Now Jeff from Scottsdale, Arizona, asked me a question on Butterfly. He asked me for advice, and I'm going to get right into it. We'll talk about that first, and then we will get into a couple of other things. All right. His question was. He's basically known this girl for woman, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> He's uh, known her for nine years, but they've never really... Like, they don't know each other. He's just kind of known of her, but he, they don't really know each other. Um, but it's been nine years. So finally, I guess they went out and they spent a ton of time together. Okay, they spent like over... Basically over a day together not 24 hours but like over eight hours whatever 11 hours they spent together doing things going to bars having a great time and he was just asking like what is like kind of the next move what do you do you don't want to be in the friend zone it's a great question and I dealt with that with my wife my wife and I knew each other for years I actually dated her friend in my high school and she went to the rival high school and I just knew of her but I didn't even know her how weird is that? I dated a girl who was friends with my wife, and I didn't even know my wife at the time. Really weird. And we met years later through somebody else. So that's how weird that was. But here's what I'll say to you, Jeff. The friend zone thing and not getting into the friend zone thing is all on you, brother. Okay? It's all you, dude. It's very simple, and it is totally in your control. In order to not get in the friend zone... You just basically, you can't be that guy who is like a shoulder to cry on. You can't be that guy that talks to her about other guys. You just have to be forward and honest with your feelings. You know, you say, listen, we spent a lot of time together. I had a great time. Um, I hope you feel the same way. I'd love to, you know, can we go out on another date? And just let her know that it's not going to be the friend thing as far as you're concerned. Okay? Um, That's what you have to do. You know, you don't you don't sit there and go, hey, yeah, I'll talk to you. And then she talks about some dude named, you know, fucking Brett that she likes or whatever. That's an awful name. But you know what I mean. You don't want to do that. Fuck that. But listen, I don't give a fuck about Brett. I don't care about him. You know, I want to take you out. I enjoyed hanging with you. Let's hang out. That's That's the important thing. All right? And... You know, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm going to even take it further. I want to answer this question for you really um, thoroughly to let you know what you should really do and, and to help you, okay? When me and my wife were dating, it was like five months went by, and I had moved to Queens, and she had moved to Jersey City, and we were going out, and we were going to the movies, and we were hanging out, and I wanted to be more than friends, and I could kind of tell that she didn't. And I started to get fed up with it. Like, you know, I'd be like, hey, you want me to drive you home? Oh, no, no, I'll take the subway. Like, you know, she was kind of keeping that boundary up. And I never forget, finally, when I stopped caring and I stopped being like trying, you know, I remember somebody was like, hey, listen, man, if she doesn't want that, then that's fine. That's her loss. Just do whatever you do. And I'm like, yeah, what the fuck am I worried about? Like, I'm just going to do what I do and, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And then like when I kind of had that air about me, when I kind of had that. 
yeah, like, what am I doing? It kind of rubbed off, and she was just like, yeah, this dude doesn't care. And I think that that almost made her be like, wait a minute, this isn't the dude I want to be with. I just didn't know yet. So, Jeff, tell the girl, be honest, don't get in that friend zone, and just be like, look, man, this is what I'm doing, and that's it. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a dick, ladies, but it's her loss. You know, this guy's taking her out, hanging out, going out to bars, going out to uh, ball games or whatever, hanging out, enjoying it. Everything is great. If she doesn't want that, then just let her go with the next dude and fucking miss out. And once you have that about you, she'll realize and she'll know what's up. So I, I think the friend zone thing is all up to the dude, you know. I heard of a guy saying that he was holding girlfriend's purses and and pocketbooks while they were on the dance floor and just being a designated driver. Fuck that. You do that, you're dead. You might as well just cut your fucking cock off and throw it out into the street. It's over. (laughs) You know? Hey, sweetie, I'll hold your bag. Yeah, go, go grab that guy's ass and let him grab you. Let him grab your ass while you guys dance and stuff. Don't worry, I'm gonna take you home and I'll hold your bag. You do that shit, you're done. And I'm not saying you're doing that, but it's over. So that's my advice. Just be honest up front. Let your feelings be known. And if she doesn't want to go for it, then it's it's on her. All right? There you go. Boom. That's what Butterfly Radio does, everybody. Jeff from Scottsdale, Arizona. I hope that helped you. Because that's as good as I could. That's that's just honest. And, uh, and real. So... Anytime a guy's like, oh, I got into the friend zone, man. I'm in the friend zone. I'm just thinking to myself, you're in the friend zone because you put yourself in the friend zone, dick. You could take yourself out of the friend zone. It's very simple. It's completely up to you. All right. Now, let's get into some more stuff. But thank you, guys. Download the free app, Butterfly Radio, on your iPhone. Okay, now. Um, I, did a, I had an audition last week. Okay, I had a great week, by the way. I was over at uh, Stand Up New York. I was at the stand. I was, you know, doing the local clubs here that I do in New York. And um, Wednesday night, this past Wednesday, kind of a big night for myself and a handful of comedians here in New York City. But it was an audition for uh, The Late Show with David Letterman. And, you know, all the Letterman people were there. And this was like a serious, like legit showcase with like some really, really important people. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I really am. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm in rare form tonight. And I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I want to get a good podcast out. And I'm, I, it, it's, a, it's a little late, but I'm going to be fucking real with you guys and, and tell you like I always do. I truly do didn't really give a fuck about this showcase. And I know that's a really bad thing to say, especially if people from Letterman are ever listening to my podcast, but I'm going to be real. I didn't. Um, I I was focused. I was ready. I had my set. You know, I kind of did my set last minute, but I made sure that I had it and I had it timed and I definitely did that. But as far as not caring, I've done enough showcases this year to realize that You're going to do spots where there's agents, where there's people, and everybody tells you how big it is, and it's like, you know something, fuck you. Don't tell me how big it is. Don't tell me, oh, who's going to be there. I don't give a fuck. You want to know why? Because I'm the one who gets up on stage and does this every fucking night, or or almost every night, and I'm the one who lives this, and this is what I breathe, 
And I'm just going to go up there and do me and have a good time. And if it's not good for anybody, fuck them. And that was the attitude I had. And I truly mean that. I'm not saying that trying to say, I've auditioned for Letterman. I auditioned for Letterman about a year and a half ago. And I had a good audition and they liked me. Um, But that was a year and a half ago and they changed over bookers. But I'm really, truly honest with you guys. Okay, I was on the road. I was I was opening for one of the greatest comedians of all time, Bill Burr. Um, I was tired. I was on six airplanes, like you guys know from the last episode. I came home. I spent some time with my family. I did some local gigs, and everyone's like, "Oh man, you got two days. You ready for this Letterman thing? You ready for tomorrow? You ready for tomorrow?" And like these comedians were like texting me, like, "Are you ready?" And I truly, I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I didn't. I, I was just like like yeah like I'm I'm excited don't get me wrong and, and, and please let let me let me say this I'm not being arrogant about it I'm appreciative for the opportunity please understand that I'm not trying to be I'm not above it or anything like that I mean I I am truly blessed and and and, and very thankful or whatever you want to say for the opportunity please I mean that. So I'm not coming across I'm not trying to come across as some arrogant dick like fuck Letterman I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I wasn't stressing it or sweating it the way that you would normally sweat something. I just wasn't. I remember like the day before, the night before, I was at the club and the ma- my manager was like, do you have the set? And I really didn't. I didn't have the set. I even put something on Facebook and I was like, yeah, I got a Letterman audition tomorrow at 8 o'clock. I hope by 7.50 I have my five-minute set down. And that couldn't have been more honest. You know, I just I just went into it like... I'm not going to be sitting here like stressing and worrying. I know I'm funny. I've watched a ton of Letterman sets. And to be completely honest, me being in a suit doing like kind of safe cookie cutter jokes is really not what I do. But it is Letterman. I have some jokes and I have enough jokes to do that if I want to, and I'm a professional, and it's a great opportunity as a comedian. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm not going to say no to it. And it's not fair to the process and to them for me to just not care. You know, I wouldn't even have my manager on it if I, uh, my manager had me on it if I was just going to be like, listen, I don't even give a shit about this. But let's be honest, you know, I didn't feel like I was 100% a Letterman comedian, you know. Um, And again, I'm being brutally honest here, but this is what you want, right? And this is, this is real shit. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, the idea of putting on a suit and standing still and being very safe and really not letting people know who I am is not something that I was 100% into. But I said, okay, maybe I can find a way to do that and still give myself as much as I possibly can and find a way to mold my material to that and still be real. So I said, you know, I want to do it. It's an unbelievable opportunity. And even though it's super clean and it's for TV and all that stuff. Um, you know, super clean TV, not just TV. You know, I've done TV where they let me go. They let me be free. This is not the case. I mean, this is fucking, I mean, this is not just clean. This is like middle America, eight-year-old watching it safe, clean shit. And... I pulled some fucking awesome, I'm, I'm something I'm really proud of. I get to the club, and I have my set, and I'm driving down. I'm driving down. I'll tell you what I did before. Was not an easy day. I had my, um, I had my kids. I had both of my kids. I had my, my uh, 11-month-old daughter 
and my son. My wife was working. Normally she takes Wednesday off and works. I mean, I'm sorry. Normally she works from home on Wednesday. This was not the case on, uh, sorry, I'm sipping my drink here. This was not the case on, um, on, on Wednesday. So I got to be down to the city by eight. I need my wife to be home by a certain time, you know, you know, you know, just thinking about traffic and everything and making sure that uh, I would have enough time. But with the kids and every time, like one of the kids took a nap and the other one didn't. And I tried going over my set. One would need something. It was just fucking crazy. It was crazy. I'm like, what the fuck is it going to take to get 10 minutes of free shit right now? What do you need? Why do you need milk? Why do you need a snack? All they need is snacks and milk. This fucking, that's what kids want. They want snacks and milk every fucking minute. Can I get milk? I need milk. Can I get a snack? Can I get a, it's like, what, it's like they're fucking garbage cans. They just need shit always. They always need it. Then they take a shit in a diaper and that's what they do. <laughs> so, um, I'm just, I, I can't get it done. I can't get it done. So I'm writing it down. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely doing this joke. The good thing was I'm only doing five minutes, and I knew of like three jokes that I was definitely doing, which would get me to like two and a half, close to three minutes. So then it was just picking like another two or three jokes and then putting them all together. So finally, like right before my wife gets home, I kind of have it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to record it on the way down to the city to myself and time it. All right. So I was like, I'm going to do this joke, I'm going to do this joke, I'm going to do this joke. I'm definitely going to open with this, and I'm going to close with this. Okay. So I time it, and it gets right to like five minutes, five minutes, and five seconds. It was perfect. I got this app on my iPhone that allows me to record stuff, so it was perfect. So, driving down to the city, I time it, I get down there, and um, a lot of great comedians on the show... Um, some of New York City's best comedians were there. It was awesome. Something, again, I didn't think about. I didn't care. Don't care when I'm going. Don't care about the lineup. Don't care who's before me. Don't care who's after me. It's five minutes. I don't care what you're doing. You're doing five minutes clean. I don't care. It's, it, it doesn't matter. You just go up there and you deliver it. And they're looking for something, you know. And I get there and I have a plan and I'm going to do the plan and um, the show is supposed to start at 8 and they said, oh, all the Letterman people are not here yet. They're running late. The show is now at 8.30. I don't let that change anything. I sit down. I order some food. I wait. 8.30, the show starts. I look at the list of comedians and I'm going kind of in the middle, which is fine. Maybe even a little more towards the beginning, which is fine. I think I went like fourth or something, which is nice. Nice spot to go. But again, you're doing five minutes. This isn't something where this is everybody's doing five minutes and everybody's going to be clean and there's a certain kind of formula for it. So you just go like, I didn't think the lineup for this particular showcase mattered as much. And in some it does. So here's what I pull and um, I'm really proud of it. And it was fucking one of the coolest things that I've done. I've done a couple of things, like driving out to Chicago, 15 hours in the car for a three-minute audition, and getting it was something that I'm very proud of. Um, and th this is right up there with it. So I'm standing in the showroom, and I watched the first comic. I watched, you know, I watched, you know, and then I leave, and then the second comic's up, and the third comic goes up, and... I'm like a couple of minutes away from going on stage and doing this. And the place is packed. There's cameras, you know, taping the sets. And the Letterman people are there. 
and it was an awful crowd. It was an awful crowd for the host. The first act got off stage and was like, man, I feel like I was a warm-up act. It just, they just weren't in it. They weren't in it. And it got me kind of pissed. I'm like, man, fuck these people. You know, it was just like this this packed crowd at this great club, and they were just kind of, it was weird. It was just a weird crowd. So I'm literally a minute away from going on stage, literally one minute away from being introduced to get on stage. And I go, you know what, fuck it. I'm changing my lineup. So I go, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make my closer my second joke. So I'm going to do my opener, which I feel is really strong. And instead of my closer, which I think is strong, being the last joke, I'm going to make that second. So I'm going to give him a one-two punch here. And then I'm just going to go with the rest of my set and close like that. And I'm literally walking up to the stage as I think this. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm doing it. I don't care. Okay? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I am I am stone cold sober. I'm not nothing. Nothing made my decision crazy. You know, I don't do drugs. I don't smoke weed. I don't do anything like that. This was a, a conscious, just honest, real decision where I'm going, you know something, this crowd sucks and they're taping this and I just want to show nobody's really popped it right now and I'm going to pop it because I just didn't care. I know I'm funny and I'm going to just go and have fun with this and, and I, I, I'm going to try this. So I'm like, you're going to make your, your last joke your second joke. So they announce me and I go on stage and the crowd, like I could tell as as I went into my first joke, which is a really strong joke, they were tight during the setup and then boom, punchline. I was like, boom, they hit. It hit. And they were like, oh, okay. Like I could tell. It was like, yeah, fuck you people. All right, you tight ass cocksuckers. Fuck you. I just punched you in the mouth. Yeah, that's right. I'm here right now. What? What are you going to do? Like I literally took it like that. I'm not even trying to be tough. That's what I did. I was, I was, I was genuinely... Like, um, I had a chip on my shoulder. So I just hit him, boom, and I'm just, I'm smiling and I'm in it. And then I go to my second choke, which was supposed to be my closer, and that hits even harder. And now I get a big, now I get a, I'm getting a big laugh and the crowd is with me. Now here's what happened. I go into the next joke, which was originally the second joke, which is now my third joke. And that goes fine. Then I go to the joke after that, and I realized, holy shit, I only have two jokes left, and I'm not getting the light yet. So basically what happened was my first two jokes hit really hard, and then my third joke, which was supposed to be my second joke, is going well. But because I flipped my closer to my second joke, I missed a joke because I made such a last-minute adjustment, but the set's going great. So I'm three jokes in, I'm three quarters through the set, or almost like halfway through the set, and everything is going great, I'm clean, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling, I got agents laughing in there, I got, the, I got the Letterman people I heard were laughing, I didn't know at the time, but I heard like, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm doing really well, and then I go to my next joke, which really did well, but now here's the problem. The joke that I was on that was really doing well comes at about four minutes, and I'm supposed to do five. 
I don't even have the light yet and I'm short and it's because how I changed everything. So this was the gangster shit that I pulled. <laughs> I worked on a brand new joke the week before when I was opening for Bill Burr in Minnesota about pilots being out of shape. Kind of just like I saw a pilot and he was just eating McDonald's. I talked about it on the I talked about it on the last podcast. That whole thing that I talked about on the podcast about the guy just killing a burger at McDonald's. He's fat. He looks satisfied. And that whole thing about I want my pilot to have a mustache and a slight sense of arrogance, not McRib sauce on his lip. So I'm in the middle of this really important audition and it's going phenomenally well. Okay. And I'm like, I'm. I didn't even. I'm promising you, people. I'm literally doing the last joke that was supposed. I'm, I'm doing the joke that was supposed to be last, and I don't even have the light. And he, halfway through the joke, I am mentally saying to myself, "You don't know where to go right now. You have a minute left of the set, and you don't have a bit to do." That's what's going through my head. I swear to you. As I, I promise you, I'm not making like it is. That is what happened. Because I flipped the joke and it made me take one little piece out where it should have been, but I, I didn't have it because it was such a last minute adjustment. So everything is going great. I get to four minutes. Opener did great. The second joke, which is going to be the closer, did great. The next joke did great, but then I missed that one joke and then I'm on the fourth or fourth joke and that's going great and, I'm, and, and it should have been like the end and it's not. And then finally, right as I start wrapping up that joke, I get the light, which means I have a minute left. And I'm 10 seconds away from finishing this joke going, where the fuck are you going? And all of a sudden, like right as I ended it and I got a laugh, I go, you got no choice, brother. You're doing the pilot joke. Even though it's only like four times old on stage or three times old on stage, you're having too good of a set right now and you better hope. Now I basically I basically pulled I did a I did something that's like a sin in comedy. I did something that you just don't do. Okay, you do not. You do not close with a joke that you just is really untrue, especially for a fucking letterman audition. You just don't. But I said to myself, I don't give a fuck. I know my ability. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm into the, I'm, I get into it and I just basically, I look at the crowd. And I was like, man, so I've been flying a lot lately and uh, a lot of things have changed. And I go, remember when pilots were in shape and people start laughing. And I go, you know, pilots used to be like the Catch Me If You Can movie. You know, little kids looking up to them. They're tall and skinny. I go, man, I was walking through the food court and I just go through it. I go, I see this guy and he's just fat gut, leaned over, just murdering a Big Mac. Murdering it. <laughs> and I do the whole thing and the mustache and a slight sense of arrogance. Not McRib sauce on his upper lip. And the whole thing, it just gets a laugh. It does great. And I go, uh, you know, I'm Paul Verzi, thank you. And everything worked out perfect. And I found out that the Letterman people were like leaning back, laughing, loving what I did. And they would like lean back and laugh and then go and lean forward to their notepad and write something. And it was a phenomenal thing. There was a big time agent there who represents some big time famous people. I'm not going to mention any names, but there was a big time agent there who looked over at my manager and said that was the perfect Letterman audition. And I got to tell you, I was real proud of it, man. 
I was real proud of it because I called the audible at the line of fucking scrimmage is what I did. I called an audible at the line of scrimmage and it paid off and it worked. And, um, you know, there is something to not to say about not caring. You know, just not that you, and again, it's not that you don't care. It really isn't. It's not that you don't care about your career. It's that you know you're funny and you don't care. I don't care about people who don't live in my shoes judging me anymore. I truly don't. I just want a microphone and my thoughts and I just want to fucking destroy people. That's what I want to do. And it worked out. And it was great. And there were a few things in my career driving to, you know, driving places really far and, and, and to, for an audition and getting it and, and certain things. But this Letterman audition, this was one because I feel like the decision I made was a very calculated one and it really worked. The only thing was I missed one thing, but I added one thing. And the more I thought about it, I was like, the pilot thing is, is really safe. It's not. You know, it is my perspective, it was my view, and it was something that I think would work. So, we'll see what happens. I don't know if I'm going to get the David Letterman show. Uh, To be honest with you, I'm looking for things right now. Uh, We're sending some stuff out to some other shows. And and I'm working on some showcase stuff. As a matter of fact, I was on Levity. I want to thank uh, Levity right now. Levity Live, man. They've been amazing to me in my career. But I went out there uh, last night, and I ran a six-minute set for another late-night show. And um, it was amazing. There was almost 300 people there. I did six minutes, and I, I don't think I could have had a better six-minute set. It was it was one of the most fun I've had on stage doing a short set ever. And, and I don't know what's going to happen with the Letterman thing, but I'll tell you something. You know, it was really cool. There was a young comedian there who goes, I don't know of any other comedian in New York City who takes more risks and I kind of felt good to hear. Like, someone was just like, dude, you take more. My manager just was shaking his head because my I scare my manager because my manager always calls me up. During the day, my manager called me the day the letter. He goes, man, you never sent me your set list. You never sent me your set. And I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'll send it to you now. <laughs> and I just sent him, like, what I was thinking at that moment to do. Um, but I've had a lot of showcases this year. I've had showcases for television shows, festivals. I've done a lot of showcases, uh, in the first quarter of 2013. To be honest, I'm tired of them. I just want to go on stage and write and do new stuff and experiment with my thoughts and everything. But, um, that's part of it. And I'm thankful for all of them because they could all help my career. And it's amazing that these people are willing to see me. It's very humbling that they want to see me as a comic and that I'm on the list. So I want to make that very clear. But um, I am known when it comes to doing a five or six minute audition, like some people just have it set, locked in stone, not me. I've changed things on stage many times. My manager gets nervous as hell because he never knows what I'm going to do. He knows if I give him a set list, there's a chance I'm going to rearrange the order or do something else. So I got off stage and uh, he just was laughing. He put his head down. He was shaking his head and he goes, oh my God, you always do this shit to me. Uh, But... You know, I just, I get a feel and, and I, and I want to do it. And, and that, that's what happened. But it was really nice. There was a big agent there who goes, man, that was perfect. That was great. Such a good job. And that was a perfect Letterman audition. It was great to hear that from a guy that's represented famous people, some of my favorite comedians of all time. Uh, so that's what happened. That was my Letterman audition. And I guess my advice to any young comedian listening to this is don't do what I did. <laughs> Listen, if you have a set list and you stick to it, please stick to it, 
Like, I almost feel like I should. This is like the jackass thing. Like, don't try this at home. I just have recently. Like, I knew my set. So I don't want to act like I went up there and, and just. But but I, I completely changed it. And it's something that I've kind of done a lot. And I've. I've I, like I said, I drive my representation absolutely crazy doing this. But it was something that I needed to do. The crowd was a bunch of cunts. And I needed to just hit them in the face. I just wanted to smack them in the jaw as hard as I can to make them go, holy shit, this is going down right now. And I did. So, there you go, people. That's probably the most in-depth I've ever been on the show about. It's something that I've done on stage. And I hope you enjoyed me bringing you into my, into my, uh, my psyche during that moment. And I walked off that stage after doing that five minutes for Letterman. And I just had a smile on my face and we shook our heads. But it was cool because these young comics were like, I've never seen a mother, like a dude do that. Like you take more fucking risks and just totally. And, and, and I do. And I you know what? That's just what I do. But I've been doing this for a long time. And um, it's something that I actually wish I didn't do. But for some reason, I just I just you get a feeling and you got to go with it, you know. You're at the line of scrimmage and you see a defense. And instead of just saying, oh, they're either going to sack me or they're not, I just was like, no, I don't want that. Not now. It's not going to happen now. So that's the Letterman audition story. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I almost feel like that should be the unacceptable for the week, but I'll never make something that I did in comedy unacceptable. (laughs) I'm too prideful for that, everybody. Okay. The fuck out of here. I ain't doing that. Shit was gangster what I did. You know it, damn it. Um, all right, so let's talk about some other things. Um, you know, there was a couple unacceptable, unacceptables for the week, but I'm going to save it. I'm going to save unacceptable for the week to to the end. I want to talk about some sports and I also have a movie to talk about, but NCAA tournament, um, I don't know if you guys saw the Michigan game against Kansas. That was unbelievable. Kansas was up. I mean, this is what March Madness is about. Kansas was up 11, 12 points literally the entire game. And then the last three minutes, this kid just starts hitting threes and getting it down and getting it down. And before you know it, he hits a three with like two seconds left and it goes to overtime. Overtime starts. He starts, I think it was like Trey Burke or something. He stayed there. He hits a three in overtime. And Michigan ends up winning, and the fucking Kansas City Jayhawks were stunned. They were shocked. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable to watch. Like, I I literally have never seen a team, and, and you know, it was just one of those things where you're winning, you're winning, you're winning, you're like, yeah, they're probably going to win, they're probably going to win, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, we just lost, and they just were staring at the floor, and these kids at Michigan were jumping all around. It was unbelievable. But one of the most impressive things I've seen in March Madness the past two games was, and I'm not, you know, just so you guys know, I'm not a Syracuse Orangeman fan. I don't dislike them, but, you know, there's just something about college basketball. It's hard when you live in New York and you grew up, it's more of a pro sports. New York is more of a pro sports city. I'm Knicks, I'm Giants, I'm Yankees. I'm really not into hockey that much. And basketball, there's no close teams. Syracuse is three, four hours away. 
Connecticut's, you know, Yukon is not far, but it's Yukon. There's not, you know, St. John's is in Queens, but they've never really been in the mix since I've been growing up. You know, the last time they were really in the mix was in the early 80s. So there's not a like a, a definite basketball team in college that you like if you live in New York. But the defense that the Syracuse Orangemen played was the most stifling, shut down in the paint shit I have ever seen. I think the coach even said he, he can't remember a team that ever played defense this good. People were coming into the paint and they were just locking people down. It was unbelievable. And uh, now they're in the final four. So it is the final four is going to be Michigan playing Syracuse and Louisville playing Wichita State. Um, The cool thing is I am going to be at the NCAA championship game in Atlanta on Monday, which is amazing. I fly there. I meet up with Jason Lawhead and Bill Burr. And we're going to that game, and then we get on a tour bus, and we take that fucking thing down all the way to South Beach for ten days, stopping at cities all on the whole way. It's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. I don't even know what to say. It's gonna be uh, everything you could dream about doing this business. Um, we're gonna go to the Masters on the thirteenth on a Saturday and see the sixth round. I mean the 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 third round of the Masters. Um, I, we went in 2010 to the last round when, um, on the Sunday when Mickelson won it. Now we're going to go to the, uh, the third round, which is Saturday. So that's going to be incredible. So it's just, um, it's going to be great. And it's just so cool to watch it and follow it from, you know, all the games and then know, you know, have your picks of the final four and know that you're going to be there. So that's what's going on with sports. The Knicks. Again, what can I say? They won eight in a row. They beat the Celtics. I know the Celtics don't have Kevin Garnett, and they're a little uh, tired and old, but fuck it. I'll take it, man. The Knicks won eight in a row. They're 20 games above 500 with about 10 left. So they're in the playoffs, and and that's all you could hope for. You know, it's going to be exciting to play the Heat. Hopefully the Knicks get out of the first round, and we'll see what happens. Yankee baseball starts this week, and that's it. So, so far, so good with New York sports. I know it's a little early, but we'll see what happens. All right, now we got. I, now I got to get into this movie. I saw Life of Pi last night, and I really liked it. I thought that it, it gave a lot of lessons in life, and I got a little confused. I'm not going to lie. I got confused at the end. The end of this movie confused me. Excuse me, sipping my drink here. Um, I got a little confused with the two stories. If you saw Life of Pi, um, you understand what I'm saying. There's a lot of conflicting things online that like both stories can be the real story. I happen to think that the, the story with the humans is the real story, but... Right when I thought that, I thought about the island that he stayed on. And it was just, I feel like since they didn't give you a definitive answer, you could almost make it up in your mind which story you like. So that's the one thing I don't like. Like there's not a definite answer, but I think there is. But they leave that little window open 
All right, for, for you people that don't know, if you're listening to this show, Life of Pi is basically about a um, a dude and his family, his brother and his mother and his father who have a, fa- uh, have a zoo. They have a zoo in India and, you know, things are going bad and they can't really afford it. So they made a deal to get the animals over to Canada and they're going to move to Canada and they take a ship. Like they're, they're a freighter that's going and the, the ship goes down and sinks and uh, people die. And this kid, Pi gets in a boat, he gets in a life raft, and uh, he's stranded in the middle of the ocean in horrible storms and all this stuff, and there's some animals that, like, got on the boat with him, and things happen, uh, one of which is a tiger, and, you know, throughout most of the movie, it's him and this fucking tiger, and I'm thinking of all these jokes as a comedian, like, fuck that tiger, I mean, why the fuck would you let that tiger back? I would club the tiger, like in my mind as a comic, I'm like, I would club this tiger in the fucking head and you would see orange and black fur on my upper lip. <laughs> you would see orange and black fur on my upper lip and blood on my chin. I would have clubbed this fucking cat in the head and I would have fucking skinned it and ate it and went fishing with it and used it as bait. I'm thinking of all this stuff while I'm watching this movie. That's the curse about being a comedian. Nothing is serious. So I'm watching this serious emotional movie, and I'm like, how did he let the fucking cat back on the boat? I would have smacked the boat in the... Fu- I mean, I would have smacked the cat in the fucking head with the club or the axe and done it. Ate him. But, so, he finds a way to train the cat, and he feeds the cat, and he tries to keep the cat alive, and he's got to stay on, like, a little raft that's off of his raft in order for the cat to kind of... for them to coexist, and, and things happen, whatever. Then at the end, when he gets rescued, he tells a story that is more believable that it weren't it wasn't animals that it was humans, and he kind of uses the like certain people in his family and his life that were substitutes for the animals. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away. You got to watch the movie. I probably already gave it away. You got to watch the movie. I think the movie was great. Life of Pi, excellent. But I just. I think I 80% know what it is, but what's annoying me is that 20% of certain things that happen that make you go, well, why would he Why would he make that up? And that's what's annoying me. And then when I looked online for like a definitive answer, the definitive answer or, or, or the answer that they gave was, you can make it what you prefer. But it seems to me it was the second story, but... Um, watch the movie, let me know if any of you listening to this show right now know anything about it or kind of think that you know. My wife told me some stuff, and again, I don't want to give it away. My wife told me some stuff that was really smart, and I was like, oh my God, like that's fucking a great way to look at it. And I, and I loved what she said. But if there's anything that you guys have or you want to, you know, get me on Butterfly Radio or email me or anything like that, please let me know what you thought of Life of Pi and what you think the real story is with it. Because it was... It was a really good movie. It was a lot about life and life lessons and just hard shit that you go through and, and all that. So I would definitely recommend the movie to anybody. I, I give the movie out of five stars. I give it four and a half. I thought it was excellent. I really I really thought it was excellent. So um, nothing really in the movies to, to, to see yet that I'm really dying to see. So I'm going to wait for some good ones to come out. But... In the meantime, I'm going to get some stuff on DVD and watch some new releases, and that was one of them. So let me know what you think. But 
It, it, it sounds a little ridiculous, a guy on a, a fucking raft or whatever it is with a, with a tiger. But you got to see it. All right. Let's get into this unacceptable for the week. And then we'll do some plugs, and then we will get out of here. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Starting to get a little tired. It is uh, 1.32 in the morning. This is a Verzi Effect podcast show. I'm your host, Paul Verzi, and uh, let's get into this. Unacceptable for the week. Oh, real quick before I get into that. I'm going to my son's school tomorrow in about 10 hours, and I am having to explain to a bunch of four-year-olds, three-and-a-half and and four-year-olds, what I do for a living, how I do it, give them examples of what I do, and I think what I'm going to do is bring them all little microphones and have them all get up and do it too. Uh, It finally, the day has finally come. So I'm going to sit down. My son's going to be next to me, and I have to explain to people that I go around the country making fucking people laugh while they drink booze and get fatter. That's what I'm doing tomorrow at 11 o'clock a.m. New York time is telling a bunch of little kids what I do for a living. Uh, all right. Unacceptable for the week is, in my opinion, again, it's a holiday thing, but in my opinion... Okay, now listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit on my wife for cooking. We had ham, we had ham, we had potatoes. So I'm not gonna go into what you should have. That's not fair. The Italian in me wants it to be like it's unacceptable to not have lasagna, but I'm not gonna do that because that's not tradition. <laughs> it's not tradition in that. But my son, I used to be like, you know, let's have them be thankful for things and not get gifts. We overdid it to the point where, like, my son basically had Christmas again today. And I just think, if you have kids and they wake up in the morning on Easter, they have to have something. Like, you don't have to go crazy. Give them a little candy. Give them a little, you know. You know, I don't know. Like, you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to go nuts. But. I think it's unacceptable to 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 not give your children like a to not make Easter as big. See, I can't say as big. Hold on, let me fucking get myself through this here, because I'm, I'm I try to think of this the right way. With Christmas, it's just gifts and it's all that stuff. But I almost feel like this is supposed to be the like what the resurrection. Of Christ, I mean, this is like you gotta get something. It's unacceptable to just basically what I'm trying to say. It's unacceptable to give your kid if you celebrate this and you do. It's unacceptable to give your kid just jelly beans and shit. Like, get him a video game. That's all I'm saying. Get him a car. Get him Lightning McQueen. Get him something. Get him a DVD. Something. One thing. I think it's unacceptable if you don't. And I know that sounds like I'm a spoiling my kid and I'm a dick. And I, you know, no. What if you don't? It's supposed to be about the holiday. Come on. It's unacceptable. I mean, we overdid it. I'm not going to lie. We overdid it. We gave him shit. He had like three, he got like three or four cars. He had candy. He got like a box of Lego fucking, it was insane what he got. It was basically like a mini Christmas for him. That's too much. But it's unacceptable to not give a kid one thing. You got to give him something. You got to make it feel like something. You know? 
I mean, Christ went through some shit for this. I know it's not his birthday, but, you know, it's a big day. Give him something. Some people don't, and I think it's unacceptable. And I know that this is totally, people would be like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, you know, it's more about the, and I, you know, half of me gets that. But fuck you, get your kids something. Get get them something. Next Christmas, if you, if you were shitty this year, get your kids something. Unacceptable, you give them fucking four jelly beans. Don't do that. I feel like a dick saying this because half of me thinks we overdid it for them. I mean, my daughter, she's still so little, but she's still got a basket with, like, sippy cups and clothes and candy. Like, it was ridiculous. They basically had a mini Christmas, and I think we overdid it with that. So I'm not saying that that's cool, but it's unacceptable to not do anything like that. You got to give them one gift. You got to get your kids something for, for, for Easter. And not a, not a marshmallow or a pack of peeps. I think that that's unacceptable. This is the first unacceptable in the history of the Verzi effect that could kind of go either way, but I'm sticking with I'm sticking with what I think. <laughs> All right, I I, <laughs> I just feel you know I gotta tell you it's funny. My wife and I got into an argument. She cooked ham and she cooked potatoes, and I'm such a dick. And it was delicious, but we got into a little argument. Not nothing big. And I'm such a dick. That, like, after we were done fighting, she was like, how was the dinner? And since I hold a grudge, I just go, ah, you know, ham and potatoes are a little undercooked. <laughs> little, little undercooked. Could have been better. Meanwhile, I think the ham was, like, pre-cooked. I don't know. I was a dick. I shouldn't have done that. My wife is great. It was a great day. Unacceptable just giving your kids a couple pieces of candy. Give them a toy. Give them something. Make it a little bigger. Just to just for the sacrifice. That's all I'm saying. All right. Let's get into the plugs for the week. These are probably the coolest plugs I will ever do. So I am excited about it. Oh, uh, a couple of shows. Actually, I got a lot of stuff lined up before the tour. But this week, Tuesday night, I will be at Stand Up New York on 78th and Broadway. On the Saturday, the 6th, I will be on the Midnight Show at The Stand in New York City. Sunday, the 7th, I will be at The Stand in New York City on their uh, 8 o'clock show. And then I fly out on Monday, the 8th, the day of the NCAA tournament. I fly out to Atlanta, ATL. I am going down there. I will be meeting with Bill Burr, Jason Lawhead. It's going to be amazing. We are going to go to the game, and then we are going to hop on a tour bus, and we hit Athens, Georgia. We hit um, Charleston, South Carolina. We hit Birmingham, Alabama. We hit uh, Tallahassee. I mean, all this stuff all the way down to South Beach. It's going to be incredible. Opening for the great Bill Burr, and um, it's just going to be amazing. I can't. Can't tell you enough how much I'm looking forward to it and how humbled and amazing it is to be opening for the, the, the best comedian in the country. And, folks, I know that a lot of people are like, well, this guy, that guy. I'm going to tell you something right now, okay? The greatest comedian that you can see today is Bilber. I am not saying that because he is a dear friend of mine. I, I'm really not. He has more to say and more deeper shit than you could fucking – it's ridiculous. Um. I watch this dude. I mean, like, I, he's one of the only people that I feel like I want acceptance from a father. 
Like I can kill. And then he'll, and, 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 and granted, like he's so fucking amazing and he'll be like, man, I was really funny and getting notes from him and, and having the best talk to you about your, your set is incredible. But there's also things that he sees that he's like, man, it's, it's almost like you just, you know, you're playing with Jordan and, um, me and another very funny comedian uh, from Cleveland, uh, like I said, Jason Lawhead. We're going to be opening for him. We're going to be having a great time on this tour. And um, I, I will be tweeting and I will be doing a um, a um, podcast. You never know. You never know. One or both of those guys could be on the next Verzi Effect. So stay tuned and listen to it or, or in two, two episodes from now. But uh, I'll have the equipment with me, and we're going to be on a tour bus, so a lot of fun things can happen with that. So um, the Verzi effect could get really interesting and fun with that. But um, in all seriousness, I never in my wildest dreams, and for any young comedian listening to this, or any comedian, period, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a young comedian. Anybody listening to this, um, I've said this a million times on my show, and I'm, I'm going to say it now. I, I truly want you to know that if this can happen to me, if this can happen to Paul Verzi, somebody that just started to do open mics and went out and was only accepted in black rooms and, and no, nobody ever knew anything about me or gave me the time of day to give stage time to me at all, ever. If I could be on tour and opening for the best comedian in the world and, and have a career and have people start to pay attention to me and industry start knowing who I am, you can too, man. So if you feel like you're sitting there and you're funny and nobody's going to know it, no, they're going to know it. Just keep writing and just keep getting better and keep getting on stage and keep being honest and don't do the easy shit. Don't do the shit that's easy. Don't do the fucking bullshit. Yeah, there's 20 Mexicans in a smart car. And yeah, this fucking, yeah, the, you know, the Puerto Rican. He'll steal your wallet. Ha, ha, ha. Don't be that guy. If you're that guy, you're fucking dead. You're dead if you're that guy. I'm telling you right now. Don't fucking do it. It's over. But you go out there. You talk about your life. You talk about the hardships and the shortcomings and the vulnerability in your life and and all kinds of insecurities that you have and family members that you you know that you had to deal with and all kinds of shit like that. You start talking about that. And you find ways to make it funny, and you leave fucking Wisconsin, and you leave fucking Kansas. I'm telling you, you have to leave. I can't tell you enough, like all these comedians are funny and you keep showing up to like their home, you keep showing up on the road and they're, they're, those locals who were funny are still there. It's like, what are you doing? What the fuck? You're never going to fucking, what are you, you, you going to do? Get the fuck out of here. You're going to be the funniest guy in Kansas? Nobody gives a shit. You got to pack your shit up and you got to go to Los Angeles and you got to go to New York and you got to just get in front of people and murder and have people talk about you and get it done that way. That's the one thing I can say that you have to do. Like, I may have not been the guy that everybody wanted, and I may have been the guy, like I said, that, that, that wasn't in, in clicks. The one thing I was, was here. I was in New York. I was in the tri-state area. I was around where people could see me. So, you have to do that, guys. If you're in comedy today, you have to do that. You know, if you haven't heard old episodes of the Verzi Effect, uh, you know, I've mentioned that Chris Rock has been asked if you had any advice to give any young comedian, what would you do? And his first his first answer was come to New York or L.A. And the next thing he said was it doesn't matter if you're the funniest guy in Detroit. It doesn't. So you have to ask yourself a question. 
okay? And I hope that this touches somebody someday, and I hope somebody who listens to this podcast comes up to me one day and says, you know something, I was listening to your podcast, I was listening to the Verzi Effect episode 105, and you said something, and it touched me, and it made me make a decision to leave, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. But if, if you know, if you are funny and you believe in yourself, you have to pack up your shit and you have to come to New York or you have to come to L.A. You have to leave where you're at. That is a definite. I don't give a fuck how funny you are or how many tapes you could send out to agents. It doesn't matter because you know what's going to happen when that agent in New York or L.A. sees you and likes your tape. They're going to say, yeah, but I need to meet with you. I can't. I, I, where are you? What are you doing? Okay. You're sitting in Mississippi jerking off. Get the fuck out of there and come over here. That's what you need to do. So you need to ask yourself a question. Do you want to be the local guy in your area who's just really funny and does stand-up? Or do you want to take this to a level? If you're funny and it's in your heart, you need to do it. Period. You need to do it. At least to have the answer to know that you answered that question like I took it to the level I could take it to. Don't be the guy or the girl going, man, I could have done this. I should have done this. I should have done that. Man, I was funny. I could have done this. Don't be that. Just let it run its course and give it what it deserves. You know? So that's what I think. I apologize to anybody listening to this podcast going, man, I'm not into comedy. This is a big podcast about auditions and, and comedy and all that. I'm sorry, but that's my life. This is what I've been going through, and this is what I'm talking about on episode 105. It's late. As you could tell, I'm tired. It's Easter Sunday or now Monday morning. I need to go to bed. My wife's probably going to come down and start yelling at me. I guess the point of this podcast is, you know what, people, sometimes in life you need to call an audible. That's the point. You need to call an audible. So let's make this thing come first full uh, full circle, okay? I told you about the Letterman audition, right? And I'm right about to go on stage and I make a crucial decision to change my lineup and make my closer my second joke. Well, you know what? If you're sitting in Vegas right now, Florida, Arizona, Washington, D.C., Seattle, San Francisco, and you're super fucking funny. And you're saying to yourself, what's it going to take? Call that fucking audible and just say, look, man, fuck it. I'm going to New York. I'm going to L.A. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hit the scene. And at least to know. At least know, man. I see some of these older comics, man. They're losing the fire, man. They don't have the fire in the belly anymore. I see it all the time. I can't mention names. I would never do that. But I see guys that you people look up to. I see guys that I used to look up to. I see guys that were gems, fucking brilliant, amazing comedians, just fucking throwing in the towel, phoning it in, nightly, on a daily basis in New York. They don't have it anymore. And it's waiting for you. It's waiting for somebody who can't live without this shit to show up hungry, commit to their jokes, go out there and give themselves and do it, man. That's what, it's, that's what you have to do. There's wake-up calls all around you, man. Let this be one. There's not a day that goes by where I don't think about my career and what I've done and what, I, what I've achieved in stand-up. 
and say, oh my God, like if I rewind, if I hit the rewind button five, six years ago, what was I doing? 2006, I just started to really feature, feature and get representation. And I was like six years in. And now I still have a ton of work to do. And there's nobody, there's nobody in the game more hungry than Paul Verzi is. Nobody. I don't give a fuck who you are. You didn't see nothing yet. I'm coming and I'm coming as like I in my mind have not done anything. I'm very humbled and appreciative of everything that has happened to me so far. But as far as I'm concerned, this thing is just getting started. I'm just scratching the surface. And, you know, it saved me. Comedy saved me. Unless you do comedy, you don't understand that this is something that we need. It's a drug. It's a feeling. That is something you can't get anywhere. It's, uh, and it's also a gift. We're able to talk and, since I was a little boy, fucking just talk and have a great time and, and, and make people laugh and enjoy themselves and you just get better at it, so, um... And the reason I'm so honest and so real and forthcoming on this show is because, you know, you guys are listening, man. You guys are listening right now. You guys are listening to me, talking, pouring my heart out, being honest. You guys are sitting there right now going, man, I feel what this fucking dude is saying right now. I understand it. I, I, I feel it. I'm a comedian or, or, or I'm a fan of comedy. And I don't know what these guys go through, but as a fan of comedy, I'm feeling, I'm understanding. This is what it is. The last 30 days, I had almost 30,000 people visiting my the, 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 the podcast site. In 30 days, almost 30,000 people. That's because of you guys. And um, I thank you, man. This, this show is all because of you. It has nothing to do with me. You guys just listen to me bullshit. But... Um, it's amazing. I remember when I would go on there and there would be 150 people in a month. And then there would be 1,100 people in a month. And now it's just growing and it's growing. And it's because you... It, and the same thing that I'm saying about stand-up is like... And I'm going to be honest. My podcast... Let's be honest. My podcast didn't get good till episode 50. It was never shitty. I don't think my podcast was ever shitty. You know... Because I'm just insanely talented when I speak. But what I'm saying is <laughs> um, my podcast didn't get like to the point where it's like, man, I got to listen to this. It's good. I don't think until like episode 50, episode 55. That's when it turned a corner. And you know why? Because it was just fucking honest, straight, real, just reality shit that, you know, people can listen to and relate to. And the other stuff was just more of, hey, we're doing a show. How's everybody doing? Blah, blah, blah. That's the difference. That's the same thing in comedy. Same thing in everything. So, you know, the way I look at it is you can never, ever lose in this world when you speak from your heart and you're honest. Richard Pryor and George Carlin are, are the, I mean, Richard Pryor, you want to talk about honest and vulnerable. That guy said shit. Like, if you, do yourself a favor, watch that guy. Like, like even Carlin, these guys just, it, it's insane. Bill Cosby talking about his family and it, it's... 
So, anyway, I don't mean to go off here on a uh, on a rant or or whatever, but you know, my gift to everybody on Easter. See, giving that little extra. See, I'm not just giving you just a piece of candy, which would be like a podcast saying that. I'm giving you that little extra. I feel like just do what you got to do, man. Do what you got to do. If you got to call an audible, you got to call an audible. You know, Jeff in Scottsdale, your question on butterfly, like how do you stay out of the friend zone? Do you want to be in the friend zone? Just fucking demand that you're not going to be. Just tell her. Be like, you know something? I like you. I fucking like you. You know what? You call an audible. Fuck the whole we're not going to say shit and see where it goes. Fuck that. Tell her. Anybody that goes for anybody in a relationship right now. You're with a fucking girl and you don't know what to say or you don't know. Just be like, look, man, this is what I want to do. I fucking like you. When I think about you, I'm happier. I want to be with you. I want to fucking hang with you and I don't want to just be friends with you. Are you into that at all? And if she says no, you know something? Let her go find the next asshole who's not as good as you. Seriously. He'll probably take her to a shitty movie, a shitty dinner, and guess what? Then she's stuck with some asshole, not you. And then you just laugh at her. And she's sitting in some fucking Ford Focus, going to see the wonderful Burt fucking, or whatever, the incredible Burt Wonderstone, while you're sitting there in a better movie, and she's sitting in a fucking Ford Focus. And by the way, I'm sorry if anybody here owns a Ford Focus. I'm just bullshit. You only live once, people. Fuck them. Seriously, fuck them. What are you worried about? You gotta stop. Who gives a shit what anybody thinks? I don't like. That's the thing. I just don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. What's oh oh God? Letterman people aren't gonna like me. Oh oh what? So you're gonna give me something I never had anyway? I don't give a fuck. What, I can't put a suit on and tell jokes in front of people that are going to fucking laugh at everything? Oh, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a shit. I want to go somewhere and just tell my jokes and make people laugh. I want to make money and support my family. That's what I give a fuck about. Stop worrying. Everybody's so worried about shit. Stop it. It's another unacceptable for the week. Stop fucking worrying. If you're sitting there and you're just worrying, worrying. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah, I don't like my job. I hate my job. Then leave your fucking job. Get another one. And then those people say, oh, it's easy. I need need money. What am I going to do? If you don't like your job so much, it must be a shitty fucking job that you could get anywhere else anyways. I'm an hour and six in, folks, but I don't think I'm done, to be honest with you. Because even though I can't physically see you people, some of you people are pissing me off right now. And it's the people that are just afraid of everything. I don't I don't get it. I really don't get it. Shut up. Sorry, I'm talking to Siri. What if you say something to her like... I'm going to say something to her. See what she says. I'll let you guys hear this. Ready? You know, Siri, sometimes you're stupid. I'm just trying to help you. Yeah, it's not good enough sometimes. How about that? (laughs) 
I'm just kidding, Siri. You're cool. Am I? I'd like to be. Ah, shut up, you robot. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, like I basically, you know, I just feel like taking the chances. And you know, somebody said something a while back, and they said when you stop. When you stop caring in comedy, that's when things go. Um, somebody told me that the late, great Patrice O'Neill had said, comedians get things three years after they were supposed to and they don't care about it anymore. And you know when you just don't care and you're just loose and then that's when things go well or when you just go into something? I guess you, need to, I guess you just need to treat it that way. Everything. When you're going for a woman and a woman really, oh my God, like I need this girl to like me. And what's going to happen? I, you know, I called her and I said something really nice to her and I sent her a nice I am online and I didn't hear from her. And when am I going to hear from her? You know what? If you just, just tell her to fuck off and, without actually saying fuck off, but you're just like, you know what? Whatever. I don't care. I don't care. What are you really going to do? Fellas, seriously, what is she really going to do? You know what she's going to do? She's going to sit there and complain to her stupid fucking girlfriends over a stupid salad that, that, that you're annoying. And then she's going to end up being with some fucking asshole. Who gives a shit? Fuck her. It's her loss. She's going to get fat and wear stupid jeans one day after she has kids anyway. Who gives a shit? All right. Let's get <laughs> All right. I think that was the cue to fucking wrap it up. All right. All right, everybody. I just wanted this one to be powerful, man. I wanted this episode to touch people. It's Easter Sunday, and uh, I just want you guys to understand that you could do the shit that you want to do. It's just you just got to get out of it. But the only way you're going to get out of it is you. You could say it. You could say it. You could say it. I got friends like that. I know people like that. I had family members like that. Yeah, I'm going to do this, man. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do this. I admit, Everyone's got that free. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm going to do this, man. I'm going to go down. I'm going to go to this class. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And next thing you know, they're just still there. They're still bartending in the same fucking bar. They're still standing in the same fucking place. They're not doing anything. Do something. I'm here for you people. You people move me, man. And I'm doing this for you. And when I get to where I'm going, man, you're coming with me. Verzi Effect. Fans, supporters of my comedy, supporters of me, supporters of Paul Verzi, everybody in my corner. I appreciate you. Um, and that's it. Uh, for more dates, go to paulverzi.com. You can see all my upcoming dates going on the tour. I'll talk about that. I'll do a podcast before I fly out of here next Monday. And um, I just wish you all the best. I hope you and your families had a great holiday. And if you don't celebrate Easter, I hope you and your family are doing great. And, um, you know, I hope you got something from this. I hope you realize sometimes you got to call an audible. And, uh, you know, that's it. Life of pie. If you guys have any, like, if anybody knows anything, I mean, I don't know what anybody else could know. But if there is something, please let me know. And um, that's it. You know, this has been episode uh, 105. I hope I touched you guys and I hope you guys... Uh, you know, felt what I felt given it.
I felt, you, you know, what you were getting. I hope, you know, you felt the same way I felt giving it to you. So um, take my advice, comedians. I do it out of Karen because I know if you're sitting here listening to this, you're a fan of me. And if you're a fan of me, that's what I went through and that's what I had to do. And uh, you're not alone. And uh, you're not just some funny person that nobody knows about. People are going to know about you, but you got to be proactive and you got to do some shit that may be a little uncomfortable, but you got to do it. And um, and that's it. I'm getting ready for the golf season. It's going to get warmer. I'm going to play some golf. And um, just enjoying it, man. Enjoying everything, man. You got to enjoy the ride. Enjoy enjoy your life. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy your families. That's it till episode 106. I'm out of here. I will talk to you guys soon. Get me on Butterfly Radio. And Jeff, if you're listening, man, you know what to do. All right. Later.